You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A lot of scripture I'd like to read. And uh, they made me wear purple with a collar this morning. I had my Kansas City shirt ready to go. (laughs) Bright red. And, and they wouldn't let me wear it. And I left my cap at the room. Never mind. <laughs> Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits or stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season and whose leaf also will not wither and whatever he does, say whatever he does, say whatever he does will prosper. And the ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Anybody say amen? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Say, I'm not ashamed. ashamed. Uh Uh-uh. And then Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter, would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel? I was raised in southern Oklahoma and in Kansas, and when the gospel was read, we stood Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Look at your neighbor said, he said, go. He He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached in Beacon. Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. I don't know about you, but I like that part. And confirmed the word through the accompanying signs. Lord, I pray this morning that the gospel would be exploded in our hearts. That we wouldn't just hear it but that would hear it and that it would begin to burn deep down within our souls. I pray this morning that we would have ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and that our hearts would be soft, that the Word might penetrate, be engrafted, and grow. I ask it all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can find your way to your seat. Uh, When I was a, a, a boy, my dad bought a piece of property in Shell Knob, Missouri, and it's uh, on Table Rock Lake, the most beautiful place in the world. And uh, my dad and Mr. Robertson bought this piece of property, and it was a real steep hill. And my dad built a cabin, took and put a basement in there. About a year later, Mr. Robertson's house began to slide down that hill. Just begin. You ever, you ever been around that where it just it, it was on the side Table Rock? It's all rock, and it began to slide. And he called my dad up and said, "Man, so what are we going to do?" And, my dad was a contractor, and so we went over and we built retaining walls and we built posts, and we all, and that thing kept sliding. So they went down on Kings River, down on Viola P- 
point, and they found this old man down there that was supposed to know a lot about how to build in those southern Missouri hills. And that old man came up, and he looked at it, and he said, Yeah, boys, he said, you built that in the wrong place. <laughs> She's going to slide right down in that there lake. <laughs> you, you boys just didn't know what you were doing. He said, but I tell you what, you go down there in the King's River bottom, and he said, you dig up these trees, and he had this tree. He said, you dig up about eight, ten of them trees, and you come and you plant it right around the basement of that there house. And he said, if we're really fortunate, he said, uh, them trees will stop that house because only nature can stop nature. About three years go by, and about four of those trees just shot up into the air. And in about four years, they grew to be about 30, 40 foot tall, about that big around. And guess what? That house stopped sliding down that hill. My dad went back down, got that old man. That old man came up there and he said, look, you there. <laughs> he said, can you hear them trees? They are talking to you. I can hear nothing. He said, Mansell, he said, them trees are talking to you. He said, when they dam up them rivers down here, and there are three rivers called the White River, the Kings River, and the James River. And it forms this beautiful lake called Table Rock. And he said, when they dammed up them rivers down here, he said, that water that was down there in them springs, it started looking for a way to come up. That's why there is water up on top of these there hills. And the roots of them, their trees went down and tapped into them springs. That's why they've grown so fast, boys. He said, them springs exist in them hills, and them trees are telling you where the water is. You're supposed to be like trees planted by the rivers of the living water so that you can tap into sources that are yet unknown and unseen. And you're supposed to be trees that grow up so strong because you're feeding on that that's on. hidden beneath the soil. Now, if you were paying attention to your past last couple of weeks, I just explained to you what convergence is. If you've paid any attention to your pastor, you've realized that we believe that there are three major streams of the church. We believe that you must have the Word of God in your life. That you need to believe in the scriptures that are given and you must be born again. We believe in the realities that there are sacraments that take place. Things in nature that God uses to reveal spiritual realities. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that works in our lives. We believe in the intentional manifestation of the Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that that has been separated and divided for far too long, that people go over to a sacramental church, they go over to an evangelical church, or they go to a Pentecostal church, but that you need all three of those food groups working in your life in order to become everything that God's called you to be. For the last 24 and a half years, we've been trying our best to bring that spirituality into a reality in our lives by expressing and by bringing that into our congregations. We are not the biggest or the best. We are simply people that are trying to tap into all three of those sources in our lives. What would that look like? Well, sometimes it looks like Beacon. Sometimes it looks like Hutchinson. Sometimes it looks like a church called Sanctuary. Sometimes it looks like a church called Redeemer. Sometimes it looks like a church over in Naples. Sometimes it has some size. Sometimes it's small. But all of it possesses the scriptures, the sacraments, and the spirit. 
all of it takes upon the flavor, the personality of the people in which are trying to follow after Christ. None of it follows a specific form. All of it follows a specific spiritual reality. What is a convergence church like? The word convergence means that they come together as one. That the divisions that have separated us denominationally have to be put down. That the polarization of the personality of politics today has to go away. And that the accommodation to a culture that says anything goes is not true. But that those three things have to bow to the expression of the reality of God being present in our lives. That's what it means to be convergence. Am I making, am I doing okay? Yeah. When you look at the scriptures, you find 30, 60, and 100. You find Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You find these Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You find Peter, James, and John, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You always see these three that are working together. I'm not a numerologist, but I'm not stupid either. I can count to three. It's so interesting to me how we have to be able to celebrate the ancient. We have to be able to call forth the future so that we can bring change into the present. We have to live anchored in the past, reaching for the future so that we can live right here in the middle of this thing on the cross called humanity. What does it mean to be a convergence church? It means that we tear down our prejudice against one another. It means that we stop following simply our preferences, but that we, mean we start following the presence of God above all else. That His presence is found in the Scriptures, His presence is found in the sacrament, and His presence is found in the move of the Holy Spirit. Am I doing okay? It means that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something you get to make up. It's not something that just fits into your own little thing, that faith has been handed to you from the beginning and that faith doesn't accommodate the culture in which it lives, but that faith is passed to us from very, very old times into this reality and that we don't get to have 33,000 denominations expressing that we have the one way. No, the one way is found in His presence. It means that there is more that unites us than, than divides us and that upon the essentials we agree in which you confess every Sunday, I believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived under the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Are you, are, am I? It means that we agree on the essentials and that all other things we have a lot of charity. It takes a lot of charity today to understand that many people are following whatever it is they're following. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that He came, died on a cross, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and will come again to judge the living and the dead, then we are brothers and sisters. Am I making any sense? It means that they should know that we're for them and not against them. It should mean that we call them brothers and sisters. It should mean that we are working together. I have it asked to me all the time, what kind of church do you pastor? Well, baby, the last time I looked, there's only one. And it was his. Last time I looked, it's not defined by what I call it, but who he calls us to be. What kind of church do you pastor? I hope it's his. I hope that when we get to heaven, it's not as segregated as it is here. I hope that when we get to heaven, that we can understand that we are all saved by the same blood Amen. on the same day, Amen. that we all follow the same Jesus that walked out of the tomb.
I grew up in this little place called Sebury, Kansas. Anybody ever been there? I want to shake your hand. <laughs> 259 of us lived in Sebury, Kansas. Uh, my class had nine kids in it, okay? Uh, Sebury, Kansas. My parents were from southern Oklahoma. They were deeply Pentecostal. My grandmother, Lottie, uh, babysat for Oral Roberts. Anybody ever heard of him? He's got a school. Yeah. My grandmother babysat Oral Roberts, and she wanted him to marry my Aunt Ethel, but Aunt Ethel said he wasn't good enough for her. Uh, <laughs> True story. So my, my, my parents are deeply, deeply Pentecostal. And we lived in this little place called Sever, Kansas, and there wasn't a Pentecostal church there, so we went to a Nazarene church because it was as close to true holiness as you could get. <laughs> You've never been to Sever, Kansas, have you? <laughs> Uh, and so everything I've ever learned in my life, I learned from Mrs. Shepherd in the basement of Sever Nazarene Church. Severy Nazarene Church, little bitty basement, and Mrs. Shepherd taught me everything I know on a flannel board. Anybody ever know, been around a flannel board? Have flannel boards in New York? Okay. And uh, that's before we had digital stuff. And we had flannel boards, and she would put up these characters on the flannel board, and that's where I fell in love with Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, and David. And I fell in love with, with all of the characters of the Bible. And when we walked on water together, and we were friends of Jesus, I fell in love with this Jesus who loved me, right? Mrs. Shepherd is the greatest teacher or mentor I've ever had in my life. And we would leave the basement. We'd go upstairs to the red carpet on the floor of Severin Nazarene Church. And Mr. Shepherd would preach. And I was scared to death of the God that he preached about. I got this idea that God was mad at me. And I was in true conflict between the God in the basement and the God on the first floor. Because the God on the first floor seemingly was waiting for me to get hit by a truck. I got saved 54 times in one year. That was twice. <laughs> because if I walked out that door tonight and got hit by a truck, I needed to know where I was going. So I walked. So I had deep, deep conflict between the, the Jesus on the bottom floor and the God on the top floor. I wish I could tell you that that conflict went away quickly, but it did not. I struggled from about the age of 13 to about 19. Where once again... A Lutheran man shared with me that God loved me. By grace I was saved, and through faith I accessed that grace. And, 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 and he put me in another basement. He put me in Christ Lutheran Church in Eureka, Kansas, and a bunch of ninth graders. And, and the second best thing that ever happened to me is I went through catechism in Christ Lutheran Church in the basement of Eureka, Kansas. And all of a sudden, the God that was in the Severy Nazarene basement was the same God that was in the Christ Lutheran basement. And this collision of worlds took place. But every time I would come up out of the basement, I would be met with the division that you today still experience. But the God of the basement and Mrs. Shepherd and the God of Pastor Pete in the basement of Lutheran all were talking about how Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, that whosoever calls on his name will be saved and not perish. That Jesus I fell in love with and I'm still in love with today, though it's taken me about 40 years to put down the conflict that religion will stir up inside of your soul. Am I doing okay? You may yourself have been raised with that conflict. You may today still be wrestling with that conflict. Because 
we were told that there was something that Jesus protected us from, from the Father. But the Bible says that Jesus is like God. The Bible says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is no time when God has been anything other than Jesus, and Jesus has been anything other than God. So if Jesus is forgiving us, then God must have been forgiving us for the ever, because God is like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. And the second thing you have to settle today is that God is unchanging. He is immutable. He's not this way one time and this way another time. Contrary to dispensationalists, God has always been God, always been himself, has never changed. Are you listening to me? So if Jesus is like God, then God is like Jesus, both old and new. He did not change. God is like Jesus. God is unchanging. And God is love. He always loves you. He doesn't have love for you. He's always been loved for you. He doesn't wait for you to perform like something and then give you the grade. No, he saved us while we were yet sinners. He's not waiting upon your performance. He is basing everything upon he is and not on how you behave. Church is spending so much time trying to change people's behavior rather than to tell them they belong. Listen, they ought to be told they belong long before they behave. In fact, if you want to know the truth, they will belong long before they behave. It'll be you that's in consternation about it and not God. You hang on. I'm going to take this jacket off in a minute. So what does a convergence church look like. It looks like one who's trying to recover the authenticity of what it means to be a kingdom of God in the 21st century, one that is free of all these divisions that have taken place over the last few thousand years. A convergence church is deeply historic. It leans deeply into the history of the church and understands the old and the value thereof. It's deeply historic. It is truly evangelical, meaning that we believe the truth shall set you free, and you must know the truth that comes to us through the creeds and through the scriptures. It is also humbly charismatic. Say it with me. Humbly charismatic. I have grown up in a time where we thought we had something somebody else didn't have. Let that sink in. We attempt, if you will, to walk in all three of those so that people might be brought into this reality of knowing the gospel. I read the gospel out of Matthew 16 for one reason, because people all the time are saying, well, show us convergence in the scriptures. Okay. Ian, would you put back up Mark 16, verse 15? I'm going to show you convergence in the scriptures. How many of you know that Matthew 16 is the last thing Jesus said before he flew away? I'll fly away. Never mind. Good song, right? Uh, Matthew, Mark 16, verse 15, I want you to look at it very closely. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach, proclaim the gospel to every creature. What is that? It's pretty evangelical, isn't it? Go into all the world and do what? Look at your neighbor and say, hello, preacher. Doesn't take an ordination to preach. You don't even have to have a Bible degree. All you got to do is know Jesus. Anybody here know Jesus? All you got to do is know Jesus. In fact, if you have problems sharing Jesus with anybody, I'm pretty sure this church has a podcast. So you, you can just say, here, listen to the best preacher that I know in New York. His name... 
You're supposed to know his name. His name is Bill. He pastors the best church in New York. It's called Salem Tabernacle. I'm supposed to witness to you, but I don't know how. So here's my pastor. Here, let me share it with you. Go into all the world and preach. That's being evangelical. Are you ready? The next verse, the 16th verse says, and he who believes and is no kidding. It says it. Does it say that in your, is it on the screen? If it's on the screen, it has to be true. How many of you charged your Bible last night? I charged mine. I want you to go home tonight and try to charge yourself because uh, it says he who believes and is Again, I got to look at it for myself. He's got, he, huh, baptized. You mean we're supposed to be baptizing people? That's sacramental. Deal with it. (laughs) Deal with it. It's in the scriptures. And I celebrate my baptism every week by remembering his death, burial, and resurrection. So that I I celebrate my baptism in the Eucharist, in the remembering of the Eucharist, I celebrate my death and resurrection. Even if you don't feel it, I'm celebrating. Most of the time I don't feel anything when I'm dead. You didn't get it. (laughs) Dead men never, you know, I've done lots of funerals. It's an interesting thing. And, And the funerals I hate the most is when they put the box right here. Don't, if, if you do this, forgive me in advance. But it's one of my pet peeves. We put the box right here. We preach, we preach, we preach. And then the last thing we do is open that box. And we all walk by it again. Not one time have I seen a dead man sit up and whistle. Not one time. Man, wasn't she good looking. Not. Dead men don't feel anything. Say baptized. Say dead to self. Alive to Christ. We proclaim the gospel and we baptized. Verse 17. And these signs follow those that believe. In my name they cast out demons, speak with new tongues. Come on, somebody Shondai with me. You don't believe men in collars can speak in tongues? Hang on. I think you see in that verse the fully expression of the power of the Holy Spirit. That when you proclaim the gospel, when you baptize people, these signs and wonders follow those. There's convergence. It's in the last words that Christ says. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we're supposed to be living in. That's the gospel that we're attempting to live in. I hope I'm helping you. Are you here this morning? I can't do it in uniform. I can't do it. it just I want you to know I'm taking it off because it'll kill me. Again. You'll understand in a minute. So, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I walked into my daughter's home one day, and my then three-year-old grandson, Hampton, was sitting in the middle of the floor cross-legged. You ever seen a kid sit in the middle of the floor cross-legged? Walked in the middle, and there was Hampton sitting in the middle of the living room. I said, Bubba, what are you doing? 
He's sitting like this. He said, just thinking. <laughs> All right. I said, what are you thinking about? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, my mama told me to come here and sit down. Think about it. You know how many Christians I know are sitting in the middle of their Christian experience and they're just thinking. They ain't got a clue what they're thinking about. <laughs> what they're thinking about. Got me to thinking. It's never a tragedy to rethink everything you've ever thought. It's never a tragedy to rethink everything you ever thought. And I got to thinking about the gospel. Uh, you'll understand in a minute. I've got to have room up here. Uh, I got to thinking about the gospel. Say God. Say, say God. Man. Man. God. Okay. In the beginning, the gospel. I didn't create this. A man by the name of Anthony Carbo created it. He's a Greek Orthodox priest that lives out in Colorado Springs. It's been redone by a number of people, but I do it better than anybody else. So I got it from a Greek Orthodox. In the beginning, God created in his likeness and image, he created them both, male and female. God created man in the beginning, right? I mean, you know this gospel. This is, this is the story. God created man. And man lived in perfect fellowship with God. They walked together. They talked together. They, they, they were united together. And the original telling of the gospel is fairly transactional. It's relatively new. It's only about 250 years old. And it generally focuses on the transaction and it talks about the sin, how God, man turned away from God and began to depend on himself to find his own apples. My God, you got apples in New York. <laughs> wow, if I have to eat one more apple and let Blaine tell me what kind of apple it is, I'm just going to, never mind. You got this apple and that apple. Give me the apple. Wow, everything up here is, never mind. And, and so man decided that he didn't need God. He would live independent of God and find his own way. And, and, and man fell into sin. And so the telling of the gospel is about how man fell into sin and that God being the holy God that he is turned his back on man and could not look upon a sinful man. And the first telling of the gospel, from one perspective of the gospel, is that eventually God became man. And he lived among us sinless and spotless, and he showed us what it was like to live the way God intended us to live. And when it tame, tame, became time, God, who had become man, takes upon him the sins of man and dies. Is that what you've heard? And God counted the sins upon man calls man out of the grave. And if man believes 
in God, then God receives him, and now God and man are restored because God had taken the place of sinful man. And jurisdictionally, the transaction was passed. We also were taught that if man sins again, any one of you sinned again? That God turns his back on us again. And then if we come back again, then God will How many of you have lived in this? How many of you getting dizzy yet? That's the traditional view of the gospel. That is actually a relatively new form of the gospel. I want to suggest to you a little more orthodox view of the gospel. Now, I believe in the transactional view. I understand everything I've just said to you. It's really what I was raised with. It's what I preached for a long time. But I want to share with you more of a transformational view, not just a transactional view. I want to share with you more a relational, not a judicial view view of the gospel, one that's been believed for a very, 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 very long time. I I believe it happens to be the gospel unperverted. God, starts out much the same, created, help me, I'm I'm used to a Pentecostal church, so you may, I apologize, I've slipped into this Baptist church. Uh, God, come on, God, children get it, God created man. man turned from God, right? Man sinned. In this particular view, the issue is not so much the judicial that God, man became sin, so much as the relationship was broke. We were separated, and we were dead, and death is the issue. Not so much just your behavior. How many of you have ever been able to fix your own death? I'm waiting. Think about it. In this particular view, God follows man out of the garden. And he sits down with Cain, who had killed his brother Abel. And Cain's going, oh my God. I'm going to die. People are going to hunt me down and kill me. And God says, no, I'll put a mark on you and no one will ever touch you. Huh. Then, of course, there was Abraham, the moon-worshipping, right? And he's barking at the moon and God gets in front of him and says, look, I've decided to try this again. Adam wasn't too bright. I'm going to bless you and all your children. How many of you with me so far? And then Abraham decides, he, you know, he's getting old. 
And that promise about a child thing, so he goes into Hagar, and he has his own child. And, and God gets in front of him again and says, just because you're an idiot doesn't mean I've given up on you. <laughs> How many know the Bible story? I learned this from Mrs. Shepherd. I'm, I'm sorry. Abe, I know you're old and you're 99 and it looks like it will never, but I, I, I'm telling you, I will give you a promise and wait till death rolls in on it and then I'll show up and fulfill my promise so you can't take any credit for it. How many times has God given you a word and then waited till it was too late, Lazarus, and then showed up and called you out of the tomb so you couldn't take any credit for it? How many times has God waited? You might be in a place where God's waiting until you get old, but just hold on, honey. He's going to wait until all the ways and means of the promise coming to pass through your hands is no longer possible. And then he's going to show up and say, hey, hey, you might be stupid, but I chose you. Anybody in the room? Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, but Moses decides he's going to take matters into his own hands and kill the boy. And God could have let him wander around out there in wilderness forever. But guess what God does? God shows up in front of Moses as a burning bush and says, I know you're a murderer. I might have should have made another choice, but you're the dude. <laughs> and then, of course, there's David. Good God. David not only liked hot tubs, he killed the dude that paid for the hot tub. You didn't get it. Do I need to get more explicit? The children are gone, I hope. David lusted after another man's wife, and when he couldn't figure out how to get her, he just killed her husband, and God shows up in front of him. You do understand this is a bit different from And I, you do understand I'm in the Old Testament. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is like Jesus. There's never been a moment when God wasn't like Jesus. And that he just kept. Davy, we need to talk. You do understand that Jesus is going to be called the son of this idiot. Talk about a pedigree. And eventually, God would become man. And he would go to a well. And he would be waiting at a well for a woman who had been married five times, was with another guy. And he'd say, honey, I've been waiting on you. And all the things she'd been looking for in all the wrong places, suddenly Jesus sat down in front of her. And then there was this Jewish man who colluded with the Roman occupying force, and it says he became a very rich man. And Jesus said, Today I will come to your house. And then there was this demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake. And Jesus crosses the lake to go over and get in front of the man. 
And then I could take any number of other stories. I could talk to you about the man that was paralyzed and he had to have friends help him. And Jesus looked at the man coming down through the roof and said, Today, son, your sins are forgiven you. Then, then I can talk to you about Pilate and Herod, the Pharisees and the priest, and how when they confronted Jesus, when they nailed him to a cross, this man did not turn his back. He did not give hate for hate. He did not retaliate. In fact, he gave judgment. Those that you are waiting on judgment, let me give it to you today. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His judgment is his mercy. That is his judgment. He will never change his judgment. He will not someday blow a trumpet and decide to kill you. He will always be the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He is forever and always seated on a throne of grace, dispensing mercy. His judgment is mercy. The issue was death. We died. The issue is he died. But not only was he a man, but he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whosoever believes in me shall live. And he calls us out of the grave. And many were seen with him that day. And now he lives with us. And we are alive. And when we, he does not, but rather, I mean, think about it. He was in a whale. But God was there. They were in a furnace. But God was there. You see, I believe God has been chasing us forever and ever and ever. I actually believe that God is probably waiting on us in our future. Calling us and calling us and calling us. I would suggest to you that if we would preach the gospel without the judicial realities and preach it with the mercy of God, so the gospel according to Christ, you think, you think it's This? Or you think it's 
this. I know. Psalms chapter 22 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we hang everything on that verse. But the 24th verse of the same chapter says, He was never despised. He was never abhorred. God never, go check me out, turned his back on the Son. It's interesting to me, I had one of the greatest dads that ever lived. And I first heard this gospel when I was 16 and a half, almost 17 years old. I was raised in a very difficult home. Very difficult home. And at the age of nearly 17, I ran away. And the story is not about me running away. or, But I ran away. I drove from Severy, Kansas to Buford, South Carolina because I was going to join the Marines. I had a cousin there who was in the Marines. I drove all night and ate those fruit pies and Twinkies and drank Dr. Pepper. Got in there about 1 o'clock in the morning and went to sleep on my cousin's couch. You ever wake up and you're hearing this voice and you're thinking, I know that voice. And I laid there on that couch and I thought, I know that voice. I sat up inside that couch. I don't know what to do. And I don't know whether I heard him or I could smell him. And by that I mean... If you've ever been around someone you love, you can recognize the aroma and you can recognize the way they walk. And you can recognize the way they breathe. And my dad took a chair, much like this one. He pulled it up right there. He reached out and he laid his hands on my knees. difficult times and he just sat there first soon I said daddy are you going to say anything he said I'm here aren't I we went home I wish I could tell you that everything got better. I wish I could tell you that something magic happened and that everything and every problem at home was resolved. It wasn't. I ended up having to leave home at 17, a little over, finish high school, go to college. It, it would take me nearly 40 years understand that what my dad had shown me when I was 17 was Jesus and was the Father. I'm with you, aren't I? I have a son. He's 31. He's a beautiful wife. Two years ago, they lost a child. It's horrible to lose a child. If you've ever lost a child, my heart goes to you. 
I think it's even harder to try to console a child that's lost a child. And I would go over three, four months every night and I would sit with my son or my daughter-in-law as they were trying not to be angry with God and sometimes failed. And they were trying to understand the death of a child. It's hard to put a box that big. And I would sit with him. I'd say, Daddy, help me. And all I could do I'm with you. Took maybe it's still taking. But I watch her sing on the stage now. I watch him hold their other son and worship the Lord. And I had no words. Frankly, I would go home and get in my little office, sit down in my chair. and pour out my own confusion. Why? And I sat there one night, and then I heard a voice. I'm with you, aren't I? If we're not careful, the gospel that we preach gives people no hope in the midst of their own pain and in the midst of their own suffering. If we're not careful, we regurgitate what we've been told for the last hundred or so years, and it leaves people separated from God. Because in the midst of real trials and tribulations and traumas, oftentimes people can't understand this God. So the gospel, according to chairs. You think? not bad for 60, let me tell you. I preached this several times, and Bill denied me the right to do it. So the great effect is that God got in us, and from the inside out, he began to spray paint us to where now, when they see us, they see God. Because we are filled with 
controlled and led by, made in his image. So now, and so now, okay, can you tell the difference now? If someone's suffering, he can send who to be in front of? Now then, he didn't just send his son, but he sends you into all the world that you can get in front of all of humanity and say, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I walk with you. So that the church becomes the extension of the ministry of Christ. For I was crucified with Christ, and now it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives on the inside of me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is a Convergence Church? Convergence Church is one who's trying to recover those things that are very old and relate them into a context that is very new. If I've confronted your sacred cow, I hope I killed it. <laughs> I'm sure there's pieces and parts I've left out. Seems like every time I get done, I think I wished I had done this and I wished I had done that. But... But if you're in this room and you have believed in Jesus, but you've been held captive by a toxic gospel, if you're in this room this morning and you know Jesus is Lord, but you feel like you're spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, if you have been caught in that, let this little boy from Severed, Kansas tell you that it's not you chasing God but that it's God who's in front of you waiting with open arms to tell you he loves you. If that's you this morning, I'm not calling you to receive Jesus. I'm calling you to allow Jesus to receive you into his loving, waiting, waiting arms. When that happened to me, it was like being born again, again. It was like scales came off of my eyes. And I could see. I could see that those that worshipped in cathedrals were just like me. I could see that no matter what they wore or didn't wear, no matter how they sung, they were just like me. I could look across the street and be in love with people that were different from me. 
I didn't have to wait for God to judge them. I could forgive them, for they don't know what they do. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, and find your peace with Him. Mm. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that bad religion would die today. I pray that twisted religion of the Pharisees would die today. I pray that we would catch our breath in the open arms of a loving father. I pray that we could crawl up into daddy's lap with our pain, our suffering, our confusion and feel his arms and his breath. Woo. Hmm. Welcome home. Welcome home. Some of you need to just take a deep breath because you don't have to chase him no more. He done. Wow, aren't you glad he came back for Thomas? <laughs> You dummy. And he just came back. Aren't you glad he told Mary, take another look, Mary, I'm not a gardener. Aren't you glad he walked with those two disciples to Emmaus and then he walked into that room and he took bread and he took wine. And in the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the wine, they suddenly could see that he was not a stranger, but he was the Lord. So every Sunday when you come to this place, and maybe your eyes have been covered with the scales or the fog of pain, when pastor takes the bread and the wine in a minute, may your eyes be reopened to the presence of God. I love you. Bless you. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.